Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Apologetic series, posted April 14, 2021, titled, I'm Praying That One Million Christians Will Watch This Video, Off the Curb Response. And they ate of it, and sin entered the world. So you and I have that same issue. Isn't that rather cruel of the Lord? And some of you might be listening to that and thinking, isn't that rather cruel of the Lord? Eerie. Well, I plead with you, please stay with me till the end of this video, because I'm going to show you something amazing that the Lord did. Man knows how to hook an audience. I'll give him that. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. If you're new to the channel, please take a second to tap on the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when new science, theology, and news videos come out. Today we're going to be looking at a video from Joe Kirby and his channel called Off the Curb Ministries. I watch a lot of Christian content and YouTube thought I might want to help Joe on his mission. We're on a mission from God. Joe is praying that one million Christians will watch this video. And while there's no way to tell how many are Christians specifically, nearly 700,000 people have watched it in just a few months. So it's probably going to get there. Maybe this will become evidence for the efficacy of prayer. So while the video wasn't made for me, let's see what Joe wants a million followers to hear. Which of these three situations best describes your life? Number one, you're tied by a needle thread. You're in the early stages of sin. You haven't quite got this sin under control. This sin has got a grip on you, but so far you've only been dabbling. Okay. I know it's best practice to listen to all the multiple choice options before picking one. But I feel I need to interject here. Again, I understand this video is for a Christian, so he's assuming that everyone watching believes in God, and therefore in the concept of sin. Now, most Christians define sin as something like behavior that doesn't meet God's standards for holiness, some sort of gap between what God wants and what we do. Now ask yourself, hypothetically, if there was no God, would there still be sin? I've asked Christians this question, and most answered yes. Of course there would still be sin. They noticed that murder, theft, lying, and adultery would still exist. And since they equate such actions with sin, they imagine sin would still exist. But perhaps you can see how this misses the point. Without a God to disappoint, these behaviors stop being sin. They may be distasteful and have dire negative consequences, but they wouldn't actually be sin in the no-God scenario, right? I've done harm to myself or others here on Earth, but there isn't an additional supernatural entity whom I've harmed. Now, since I don't believe in a God and therefore don't believe in sin per se, whenever Joe says sin, I'm going to substitute behaviors that have negative consequences and see which of us comes up with more useful advice. Number two, that thread has now turned to string. Okay, now you're addicted. I think it's important to note that in any kind of clinical sense, repetition of behaviors with negative consequences isn't necessarily an addiction. The ASAM calls addiction a treatable chronic medical disease 
involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. The American Psychiatric Association's DSM-5 officially recognizes only one type of behavior as potentially addictive, and that's gambling. But Joe here is inappropriately applying this addiction potential to any behavior. I'm quite certain he would say that one could become addicted to lying, addicted to envy, addicted to swearing, addicted to disobeying your parents. What Joe calls an addiction is more reasonably described as a habit. It's okay to use a colloquial meaning of words in casual conversation, but some Christians start to seriously conflate habits with actual clinical addiction, creating even more problems by employing non-professionals to attempt to diagnose and treat people in a harmful Christian counseling setting. Everyone has some bad habit, something they do that harms themselves or others to some extent, but keep doing anyhow. Now, bad habits do have consequences, sometimes severe consequences. But if I'm right, and the Christian God doesn't exist, then these real-world consequences are, in fact, the extent of the consequences. Adding on additional pressures of eternal torment or disappointing a Heavenly Father is non-helpful and non-demonstrable. Whatever you believe about God, I think we can all agree that the level of guilt one feels about an action should be proportional to the level of actual potential harm done. With Joe's model, underreporting your weight on a dating profile is equally immoral as framing someone for a crime. To Joe's God, both are equally despicable and equally worthy of infinite punishment. You're entangled. Well, number three, the string has turned to rope. You now are like a puppet on strings, and the puppet master is called the devil. He's been controlling you for years and years. If you'd allow this former Christian to exegete for a minute, this is an unbiblical and completely overpowered view of Satan. In the Bible, the devil is a created, limited, finite being. He cannot be everywhere at once. He cannot read your thoughts or know the future, nor does he have God's blanket permission to tempt Christians. The devil is described as a lion, walking around, looking for victims to devour. He's in a fixed place and time. He's not some omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent anti-god who can manipulate billions of people at once. No, the New Testament is consistent again and again that sin is a part of mankind's fallen nature. Each person carries out the desires of the body and the mind entirely without help from Satan. Christians need to own their sins not blame another creature. Now, it is a surprise for some Christians to learn that people who don't believe in the biblical God generally don't believe in Satan, just as they couldn't believe in sin. But I think believers and non-believers should be able to agree that humans are capable of making harmful choices without outside help from anyone. No Satan required. And you're so bound up by this sin that you think I'll never be able to stop. This is it for the rest of my life. I'm bound and I'll never ever change. If I'm thinking about sin as behavior likely to incur negative consequences, then some of the people in Joe's group three are indeed engaged in recklessness beyond their ability to control without help. Clinical mental illness could be at play. If the negative consequences of one's repeated actions become severe, seeking professional psychiatric assistance would be a good course of action. Whether there is a God or not, qualified human help has a track record of success. 
that said, may I also posit that sometimes Christians who feel like they are in group three are merely putting a guilt upon themselves that is disproportionate to the real-world actual or potential consequences of their actions and thoughts, because they're adding in speculative eternal consequences for the next life. For example, a person who entertains lustful thoughts may be acting entirely within the parameters of the normal sexual desire that is required for the survival of our species. In such a circumstance, the negative consequences typically flow from the potential for subsequent thoughts of harming someone, or devaluation and objectifying of fellow humans, or possibly negatively affecting an established relationship dynamic. But absent these, being horny isn't intrinsically worthy of the kind of infinite guilt that Joe's brand of Christianity would attach. Again, the guilt taken aboard for a thought or action should be proportional to the resulting or potential real-world negative consequences. Adding on infinity is self-fulfilling failure and unreasonable mental torture. So whether you're number one, number two, or number three, I want you to know something. There is no safe amount of sin. It is impossible to play with sin and not get bound. If sin is actions with negative consequences, then yes. Said actions will entail possible or actualized negative consequences. This is expected. Like a black widow spider in a web, sin is waiting to suck the life out of you, to wrap it into its web and keep you there forever and ever. That's a little dramatic. Again, for your own mental health, apportion and limit your self-disappointment to the realistic foreseeable negative consequences in this life and the likelihood of said consequences. Forever and ever isn't a helpful addition. In a moment's time, I'm going to ask you to pause the video and to write the answer to the question I'm going to ask you. I don't have a pen. Who was the strongest man who ever lived? That's a tough one, as there's no standard definition or single measure of overall strength. Google tells me that fellow Canadian Louis Sear from the turn of the 20th century might be worthy of said title if we're considering a variety of physical feats. Muscle and Fitness Magazine ranks Adrenus Savicus of Lithuania as the strongest. Of course, beyond physical strength, there's also mental toughness and emotional resilience and... His name was Samson. Oh, I didn't realize we were including characters generally considered to be fictional. Can I change my answer to Hercules? Or maybe Superman? I guess neither of those are technically human. Is the Hulk human? Maybe Captain America, if enhancement is okay. Purely naturally, maybe Bruce Wayne or Bam Bam Rebel? Samson was so strong that he took on and murdered thousands and thousands of strong Philistine men with just the jawbone of a donkey. That's not a donkey, is it? Donkeys don't have horns, right? Why are these bones in space? What is happening? But Samson had a weakness. As strong as that man was, he had a problem, and his issue was this. He could not control his eyes. Like he was cross-eyed? Some kind of twitch? It says about Samson he was spending time with the unbelievers, and he went down to a place called Timnah, and he saw a woman. And he said to his parents, I want you to get that woman for me. Is that something parents can do? For she is right in my eyes. But his parents begged him. They said, please, what about the daughters of Israel? Why will you not go for one of them? From a modern sensibility, this sounds a little elitist. Maybe even racist. But I get that Israel the ethnicity and Judaism the religion were basically one and the same at the time. The prohibition on foreign wives was more about purity of belief than purity of the bloodline. It's almost like God is acknowledging 
that husbands tend to adopt whatever religious convictions their wives hold. No, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. You've got chicks appeal. Jewish men love the idea of meeting a woman that's not like their mother. Oh, that's insane. But listen to this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's one of Ken Ham's favorite verses, too. But I'm not sure it really makes much of a point. I'd argue that at all points in history, at all places and all times, that everyone does what is right in their own eyes, king or not. Under oppression, one may think that a pragmatic self-preservation course is the right action. In other circumstances, one can think it right to extend empathy beyond ourselves, to loved ones, our tribe, our nation, our species, and so on. The person who acts entirely selfishly and the person who acts altruistically are both doing what's right in their own eyes. Sin blinds, sin binds, and sin grinds. Blinds, binds, grinds, it rhymes. Okay, firstly, sin blinds. Because Samson could not control his eyes, because he kept running after, chasing after Philistine women, God allowed the Philistines to tear out Samson's eyes. He allowed Samson to go blind. And some of you might be listening to that and thinking, isn't that rather cruel of the Lord? Well, it's consistent with one of Jesus' harsher commands. Jesus said this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's the one. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Whether literal or hyperbolic for emphasis, this illustrates exactly the problem with thinking about actions as sins rather than simply thinking of actions in terms of potential consequences to yourself and others here on earth compared to infinite punishment any action can be justified, no matter who it hurts or how much. And between you and me, when I really understood what that verse was saying, I decided I'm not having any internet in my home, and for five years I live like that. While there are other possibilities for internet temptation, this leads me to believe that Joe is making this video with sexual thoughts in mind. While we acknowledge that there are potential negative consequences that can stem from partaking in sexual content, or from one's conceptions about sexual activity, Christians similarly must acknowledge that the existence of a sexual drive is biological, entirely natural, and that a fulfilling sex life, which will look different from one person to the next, is an important factor in overall quality of life. Just like eating is not inherently unhealthy, sexual thoughts are not inherently unhealthy. The Song of Solomon is a Bible book devoted almost exclusively to the expression of sexual thoughts. By adding permanent shame and eternal consequences to temporary biological urges, Joe's brand of Christianity is crippling lives of young men and women around the world, deliberately saddling them with infinite guilt to control them, keep them broken, and keep them hopelessly dependent on the church to redeem them from an instinct no different than breathing. This is purity culture, and it ruins lives, both for those who fail to live up to the standard, but equally so for those who do live up to the standard. Guilt and shame, marrying too early, a warped view of sexual rights or sexual obligation, denying sexual orientation, or a simple failure to undertake exploration, to maximize one's own enjoyment and satisfaction, 
in an important area of life. Number two, sin binds. You know, I believe one of the greatest myths in the Bible is, you know when you've seen in the cartoons those drawings of Samson, and you see him and he's built like a truck, he's got huge muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that. I think, I could be wrong, but I think that is totally wrong. Ironically, the Christians perpetuating this image of Samson are tacitly appealing to the biological basis of ideal body images of the kind that lead Joe to not have the internet. I'll tell you why. Because if his strength was muscles and, and sheer brute strength that is humanly speaking, well then why is it when he was bound in those bronze shackles he couldn't break free like the other times? I assumed Samson was drawing upon supernatural power, like Superman drawing on the yellow sun. Without access to the external source, their muscles still function like normal human physiology which wouldn't include breaking bronze shackles. I actually think he was probably a, a regular-sized guy. He might even have been a dweeb like me. Well, that could be your own hero wish fulfillment speaking. And thirdly, sin grinds. There is a lie, and it's come straight out of the pits of hell, and it goes like this. You can disobey God's commands, and you'll escape all of the consequences. Well, I would agree that humans can tend to be optimistic about avoiding some of the possible harsh consequences of actions. But a person doesn't have to live too long to learn that all actions have some consequences. We understand the potential consequences of lying, stealing, or murdering here in this life. No God is needed to recognize this. What has not been clearly demonstrated is that any of God's commands have consequences beyond the natural earthly consequences. Maybe there are eternal ripples, maybe not. But aren't the effects to ourselves and others here and now enough to explain our instincts against potentially damaging behavior and the guilt we feel when we act this way? Isn't this life enough motivation? Whether or not there is eternal reward or punishment? Sin will not solve all of your problems. Sin will not offer relief from the pain you are feeling right now. There is nothing more costly than your sin. Your sin will rob you of everything. Instead of promising you luxury, you will get misery. Instead of riches, it will give you poverty. Instead of success, you will get ruin. This list from Joe entirely affirms my observation. These are all reasonably expected earthly consequences of behavior choices, whether or not God exists. Joe is simply appealing to what we all see in the world. Instead of a good reputation, you are tattooed with the name of your chosen passion. Whether you're a gambler, you'll be called gambler. Whether you're a drug addict, drug addict, prostitute, adulterer, liar, greedy, all of these things will bear on you for all of your life. These are actually societal consequences, not divine ones. The potential effect of behavior to one's standing in the community. Actions that endanger the group will naturally be frowned upon by the group, but it can go further than that. Religions like Joe's Christianity can invent stigmas for behaviors that don't actually correspond to danger. For example, they might stigmatize recreational gaming, substance use, sex work, ambition, or consensual sexual activity, none of which poses actual corresponding threats to the group. Criteria to reinforce artificial in-group and out-group cohesion can be entirely arbitrary compounding mental and social challenges for those who don't fit. Joe's suggested consequences here aren't because of sin, but rather the pressures used by a group to coerce conformity in individuals. I want to give you a hope to cling on, despite the fact that we are all rotten, wicked sinners. You see, one of the reasons why God allowed all of these dreadful things to happen to his anointed one, to the judge of Israel, Samson. Well, up to this point, 
within the context of a premise where the hero has superhuman strength connected to uncut hair. Everything that happens to Samson is entirely the expected consequences of his choices and actions. Even assuming this is a true story, no divine intervention is needed to explain the negative things that happened to Samson. It made Samson humble, and right at the end of Samson's life is the first time we hear him praying to the Lord God. Okay, so now we're into the realm of alleged consequences that are outside of what can be demonstrated. A level of humility can have social advantage, along with better outcomes that go along with realistic expectations. But the entire notion that one being must be exalted and worshipped is unnatural. If worship is a freely offered outpouring of love and appreciation, then there can be no punishment consequences for not providing it. Negative consequences for a lack of worship would merely be retribution in the context of a power dynamic differential. Consequences for failure to worship is straight-up abuse. But, fortunately... We have no reason to think that such a being exists, or is actively assigning after-death consequences for before-death actions. So how does this fit into our lives? Well, we do fail. We do make a mess. Of course. All of us make choices, all of which have potential consequences. Sometimes we choose poorly. Sometimes we aren't aware of all the potential ramifications. And most often... We have to pick between imperfect options, navigate an unclear path, and hope for the best. The Bible says this, he who commits sin is a slave to sin. And if we keep going to these sins over and over again, we're nothing more than a slave. Well, Einstein's definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results. This is consistent with a natural cause and effect universe. The Bible also says this, who the sun sets free shall be free indeed. Well, here's the problem. It's well and good to receive God's forgiveness to avoid post-death consequences, but that forgiveness does nothing at all to address the consequences in this life of those choices. A God-forgiven drunk driver has still hurt someone. The child of a God-forgiven neglectful parent still bears emotional scars. The victim of a God-forgiven assaulter is still traumatized. And this eternal forgiveness can be requested and granted in your final breath, giving you a ticket to heaven and a wake of unresolved damage here on earth. So know this, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can tap into a freedom that no one in the world has apart from the Christian. I think I've demonstrated that this is incorrect. The Bible is clear that God isn't motivated to shield Christians from the natural consequences of their actions. So we're all in the same boat there. Believers and non-believers alike face the same potential consequences. However, because Christians have an extra layer of afterlife consequences they're worried about and trying to avoid, they are definitionally less free than non-believers. They must be vigilant about consequences they can't be sure are ever coming. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, sin has no power over you. The devil has no power over you anymore. So when that temptation comes into your path, you do know you do not have to yield to it. When it comes to this life, what we're talking about is more consistently choosing actions that are more likely to yield favorable outcomes. But Joe's laments reveal that being a Christian doesn't necessarily mean making the best choices. And, in fact... Nothing is stopping a non-believer from making consistently better choices than a believer. Joe's Christianity isn't promising any benefit on earth that we cannot obtain naturally. 
Rather, Joe's Christianity is promising that your actions won't have consequences for you in the next life. A thing that cannot be demonstrated. And that's why I'm making this video today, that I'm asking every single one of us to live that victorious life. Which would be indistinguishable from a non-believer who makes consistent consequence-driven decisions. Assuming both kinds of people would be pursuing similar consequences in this life. Based on Joe's B-roll, it seems that we're both thinking of happy and fulfilled earthly lives. One last thing before you go. Do you remember at the beginning of the video where I showed you the three different types of people who were bound up in the different cords of sin? Well, there is one type of cord which is the best of all, and that's the invisible cord, meaning you've never ever dabbled in that sin. If that's you and you're watching today, and perhaps there's a curiosity, perhaps your friends at school or at college are saying, try this, try that, I just want to say, don't try it at all, because I guarantee there will be thousands of people in this comment box who would say to you, I wish I never went to that sin. And I can guarantee you that if you go through the comments of my videos, you will find thousands of people who lament that they allowed Christianity to label entire categories of behaviors as sin or off-limits. They regret actions not taken and experiences not tried for fear of hypothetical eternal consequences rather than really experiencing the one life that we know we have. I do not regret the things I've done, but those I did not do. It's not advocating for irresponsibility. It's about taking a good, hard look at what potential consequences are real and which are put upon us without merit. Guilt is a destructive weapon wielded irresponsibly by Joe's brand of Christianity. And if you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. On that, we agree. Thank you for watching and God bless you all. Later.